It is great to see everybody out on this uh, holiday weekend. Glad you uh, chose to be with us today. Thank you for choosing to be with us. I know we have several people on vacation and, and away, and some are working, and it's just great, great uh, holiday Sunday crowd. So thanks for coming out. I hope you enjoyed the worship. And I actually forgot that today was the anniversary of when I took over. I know that today is the anniversary of 37 years ago today. I jumped on a bus and went down to Fort Dix and joined the Army. So, yeah, it's a long, it's a long time. Yeah. Realize that half of our church is younger than the amount of time that I... I never say that right, but they're younger than the amount of years ago I went into the Army. Does that make sense? Okay, good. If it doesn't, humor me. All right, turn with me to John chapter 21, if you will. John chapter 21. <clears throat> Well, what a busy week this was, huh? Crazy week. Uh, all the 4th of July celebrations, and hope you had some time to enjoy time with family and friends. And uh, here in East Longmeadow, we had our fireworks and our parade, and just a great time. And uh, looking forward to spending the rest of the summer just getting back to summer, I guess. John 22, verse 21 and 20, verses 21 and 22 say, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of the, these were written, uh, written down, I suppose not even the world would, could contain the books that would be written. What we're talking about this summer is uh, the idea of what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Not WWJD, WDJD. What did Jesus do? Because our theme this year as a church is each one reach one. Talking about evangelism and the importance of sharing our faith and what we can do and how we can share our faith and how we can practice our faith effectively to reach others. We live in an area that is very needy when it comes to the gospel, very needy when it comes to uh, the things of God. Not just those who are outside of church. We know we live in the, uh, the number one post-Christian metro area in the country. But also those who are within the church. And much of what we've been talking about in this series of WDJD is what did Jesus do in his own life for his own spiritual growth and his own spiritual purpose? We... The first, the first area that we've been talking about is this. Jesus managed his personal life. And we've covered these topics already, if you remember. He followed his father's plan obediently. He proved his ministry with integrity and credibility. And last week, and I got a lot of, a lot of responses. I've had a lot of conversations both in person, on the phone, uh, Facebook messages, and uh, text messages about what the last two weeks we covered uh, the topic, Jesus rested intentionally. And I've had... Uh, we, we covered that pretty, pretty uh, in depth. And a lot of people have come to me and talked to me. And I want you to know I'm praying for you about that. Because it is it's very difficult uh, to, to, to justify in our own minds, right? Taking time off, taking time away, taking some downtime for ourselves. I say that to say this. What we're going to be talking about for the next couple weeks, the area of life, of spiritual life that we're going to be talking about for the next couple weeks should, in theory, in biblical theory and teaching, should make it easier for you and make more sense to you as to why it's okay 
to do, to, to do some spiritual downtime, to say, take some time away, to stop and rest, and rest intentionally. And what we're going to be looking at is this. Jesus connected in prayer constantly. Jesus connected in prayer constantly. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. If you know uh, the Gospel of John, the, the, uh, John chapter 17 is what is commonly known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's the prayer uh, that he prayed, part of the prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. And if you read John chapter 17, you read and you hear, you can feel the emotion and the passion and the heart of Jesus as he speaks with his Father and opens up about his mission and his purpose and what he's done and is accepting the finality of, of his his mission and his ministry on earth. But he says this in verses 20 and 21. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, as you, Father, and I are in me and I in you. Jesus in the garden the night before he was crucified prayed, and he didn't just pray for himself. He didn't just pray for strength to endure. He didn't just pray for uh, those who were with him. He prayed when he says, I don't pray just for them. I pray for those who will believe on your word because of them. He prayed for us that night. He prayed for all those down through the centuries, down through the ages, who would hear the gospel and come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. And his great prayer for us at that time was that we would be unified as believers. I know there are a lot of things that divide us. We, are, we live in a time in our nation's history where we are more divided as Americans than ever. We, and, and I think sometimes, and I get it, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good reasons to have good discussions. There truly are. There's a lot of things that really need good work. But I think sometimes it's getting to the point now where we're just looking for excuses to cause, to, to cause division. I'm not talking about divisions along the lines of race because, man, those are, <laughs> those are issues, folks, that need to be addressed. No doubt about it. Uh, but some of the other things that, that we get into, I think, I think we're just to a point where we're almost making things up now so that we can be divided. We don't want to be united. Unfortunately, that crosses over into the church world as well where Christians just want to have an issue. I've never lived in a time, and I've never ministered in a time, where more people make more excuses about why they don't go to church. Jesus prayed that we would be united, that we would be one, that we would have one purpose and one focus and one goal. It doesn't matter if you disagree with me here or there. What matters is that we see what's important in life what's important for the ministry and mission of the church, and what's important for your ministry and mission as a Christian. And that brings us to our prayer lives. Prayer, I believe, has been, become one of the most forgotten or neglected habit of followers of Jesus today. The Bible says that prayer is the power behind your armor. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6 and read verses 10 through 18, you'll read about the armor of the Christian. You'll read about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the boots of preparation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. You read about the armor, and then Paul writes and says, and all this is power, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, this is, this is the John translation, okay? He says, and behind that, the power of this armor is prayer. 
It's prayer. Because you can walk around holding your Bible. You can even learn. How many of you grew up in a time and you went to Sunday school where Bible, verse, Bible memory verses every week and you got quizzed the following week, right? All the time, man. We'd, we'd go back to church and you'd get a star. Or you'd get a, If you had that really cool Sunday school teacher, she'd give you a lollipop or something, right? Bubble gum, drive your parents crazy. My dad would slap me in the head for, for, for uh, chewing gum in church. But... You can memorize scripture all you want. But if you don't use that scripture and apply it to your life, then it's just, you can, you can win a category on Jeopardy and that's it. We've got to learn to take these things that we know and apply them to our lives. We've replaced prayer in our society with many different things. We, even Christians today, routinely... See if this isn't true. I mean, even Facebook now, right? When Facebook sends you a message and it says, so, it's so-and-so's birthday. Send them good thoughts. Okay. I, I, now, I know that's real politically correct, and I know that that's very new age and whatnot, but what good is that going to do? Right? I, people, and, and routinely now, people in, even Christians, say, I could, I'd appreciate prayers and good vibes and happy thoughts seriously <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean I'm not trying to be funny I'm trying to focus us as Christians on what the truth is what good as a Christian are good vibes going to do seriously see we've replaced and we're afraid I think sometimes now to ask people for prayer or to say that I pray or I'll pray for you because now we're mocked for it, right? We've had enough of your thoughts and prayers. You've seen that on the news? We've had enough of your prayers. We want action. Well, listen, man. My actions need to be motivated and empowered by my prayers. And as Christians, we're falling into that trap where we're allowing other things to take the place. And we're becoming, I hate to use this term because it's, it's we're becoming, people are trying to shame us for praying. Well, can I say this, Christians? Have a little backbone. People only shame you if you let them. Okay? It's like what uh, Mrs. Roosevelt said. No one can make you feel inferior without your permission. Well, nobody, can sh nobody can shame you without your permission. You can talk about me. You can make fun of me. You can look down on me because I pray. But I know the power of prayer in my life. I know what prayer does. I know what prayer can do. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. We substitute other things in our lives. And as I was writing this, as I was praying about this message, it's one of those where I said, God, really? This is, this is, this is where you want me to go with this. The Bible says he will give you inner peace. The Bible says that God will give you peace that passes understanding, right? Right? The Bible says that God will, he will keep your hearts and minds in peace for those who are stayed on you, who pray to you, who trust in you. Yet as Christians nowadays, we're substituting things such as counseling and yoga for inner peace. Listen, you want to stretch, stretch. You want to do downward dog and get your back all the way. That's great. But if you're doing that for inner peace, folks, you're going to the wrong source. That's what this is about. Our source for inner peace should be a life of prayer 
to the God of the universe. We've exchanged political activism for the leadership and guidance of God in matters of public policy and citizenship. As churches, as Christians, we want, to voice, we want our voice to be heard first before we go to God about things. Listen, I'm, I, I am not one of those guys that's against Christians being in politics. We have a, a city councilman back here, and I appreciate what Melvin does for the city of Springfield. He's, well, this man, if those of you who live in Springfield, you need to, you need, if you ever sit down and talk with Melvin and his wife, thank Melvin for all he does for the city of Springfield. I think it's awesome. One of the things I appreciate most about Melvin is not just his passion for Springfield, not just his passion for what he does, but the fact that he prays about what he does. And as he moves forward in doing his job as a city councilman, he prays. And he asks for God's leadership and guidance. He'll call me. And I'm not going to tell you what we talk about. But he'll call me and we'll talk about things. Because he wants, he, he wants guidance. And I call him and I talk about things. We have great conversations. If you notice, Melvin and I, we're, we wouldn't be mistaken for twin brothers. Right? Melvin's skin is a little darker than mine. Um, but we have great conversations. I've learned more about race relations and, and what it's like and how to raise my two boys of color from Melvin than anybody else I've, I've, I've met in my life. So I'm not against that. What I'm saying is, folks, we, fall, we, we go to now political activism and we try to solve our problems through the ballot box rather than going to prayer about that. And I'm going to show you some statistics here. Uh, in a minute to tell us about that. Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest presidents in the history of our nation, said this, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere, nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. Man, wouldn't it be awesome if we had some leadership today that felt that way? That I needed to go to God first. Wouldn't it be awesome in your home? Wouldn't it be awesome in our lives if we remembered and were reminded of the fact that we need to go to God first about our issues? I want to share with you some statistics, as I said, about prayer in America today. One of the most stunning things I saw was this first one. 2% of Americans, 2% of Americans uh, say they pray in a group or a church setting. They, and that means they feel comfortable to pray in a group or church setting. 47% of the residents of the Springfield-Holyoke metropolitan area claim to have not prayed in the last week. 71% of baby boomers pray. Only 53% of millennials pray. 39% of college graduates pray. Here's one that goes along the lines of, of uh, understanding others. 51% of blacks and Hispanics pray for safety while only 36% of whites. And Barna does a great job of analyzing these statistics. They asked why that was, and it's because blacks and Hispanics um, feel they need to pray for God's protection because they're afraid when they get pulled over by the police, they're going to get beaten, just to throw that out there. 37% uh, pray. Here we go. 37% pray for a sense of peace. 47% pray for good health. 52% of poor people pray for good health. Only 42% of rich people uh, pray for good health. And that was because poor people said they couldn't afford health care. 24% pray for our government and leaders. You thought I, if you thought I was just blowing smoke there, it wasn't. Only 24% of America 
prays for our leaders. Now, all these numbers, you may say, well, that doesn't sound too bad, but I'm going to put those into perspective here for you in just a minute. 43% of elders who are, I don't think I'm an elder yet, although Brian tried to out me at Dunkin' Donuts as being an, an elder. Um, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not there yet. Let me just leave it there, okay? I'm a baby boomer. Leave me alone, all right? And only 19% of millennials pray for our government leaders. But here's the devil in the details of those statistics. While 89% of those who pray do so to God, we, and what I probably should have written was a God, but I know many of us, many who believe in prayer, the true biblical prayer, pray to God. Only 50% of that 89% follow the biblical model of praying in Jesus' name. Only 23% pray to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the one that, and we'll read some of these verses, when, when you don't know what to pray for, when you're, when, have you ever been overwhelmed where you just don't, you know you need something and you just don't know what to pray for? When I get to that time, I say, God, I don't know what to say. Please just read my heart, read my mind. The Bible says in those moments, even when you don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit carries your request to the Father. But only 23% of those 89% Pray to the Holy Spirit. 30%, 34% of that 89%. Okay? I know this is getting a little confusing, maybe a little confusing. It is to me. You're a lot smarter than me, so it's probably not to you. 34% of that 89% pray to a higher power or pray to ancestors or other deities or divine power within themselves. And my personal favorite, the universe. They pray to the universe. I've seen people and I've heard people, I thank the universe. For, and, and they're the same people that mock me personally for believing in creation and believing in an in, in intelligent design of the universe. Yet when you pray to the universe, you're acknowledging that there's intelligence out there that created something because the universe is there. And it's, you know, so, so. When we look at those numbers that seem to be not so bad, we have to remember that you cut those right in half. Cut those right in half. Because really only half the people that pray are praying biblically. Well, that's awfully judgmental of you, right? That's what you say. That's, that's really, that's really uh, hurtful for you to say. Now we go back to what I was saying at the beginning. We're afraid of being mocked. And we're afraid, be afraid of being called intolerant because we believe in biblical prayer. My goal over the next couple weeks or next few weeks of this message is to help those of us who struggle with prayer, making prayer an active part of our lives or accepting prayer as God's way of you moving forward and being powerful in your life, to understand what the Bible truly says about prayer so that we'll see what the Word of God says about a life of prayer and what it can do for us what it can do for you. Listen, the reason this church is here is because the power of praying people. The reason many of you are here is because the power of praying people. I'll tell you this. The reason I am here is because of the, the power of a praying mother and father. Because truth be told, 17 years ago, I had no desire to be back here. 
was going to be a missionary to the Philippines. And my dad was going to retire. And he called. And I knew I didn't want to come back to Massachusetts. And I prayed, and my parents were praying. And my parents had prayed for years for that to happen. And here I am. And I'm thankful for it. I want us to see over the course of these next few weeks the power that prayer has in our lives and especially in God's plan and how you fit into it. What does it mean? What do all these statistics mean? What am I trying to say here? I believe it's this, that we as Americans and many Christians have a distorted and dysfunctional view of what prayer truly is. We excuse and accept other forms or styles of prayer as legitimate for fear of sounding intolerant or being accused of hate, when in fact, all that standing for biblical prayer would mean is that we're standing for the name of Jesus. That's all it means. It doesn't mean I hate anybody. It doesn't mean I'm intolerant. Listen, if people, want, people can believe whatever they want to believe. It's a free country. And that's the beauty of Jesus Christ and his mission. He gives you free will. He gives you free will to choose. To choose for him or against him. And we as followers of Christ need to understand that we don't judge people for what choices they've made in life. We don't judge them at all. That's not our job. We love them when we pray for them, when we try to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this brings us to biblical prayer what the Bible has to say about prayer. And in the example and teaching that Jesus gave to us for prayer, let's get something straight from the outset. Prayer is what God says that it is in his word. No ifs, ands, or buts. And that's where this message is going to come from. It's going to come from the Bible. It's not my take on it. It's not traditional teaching. It's what... True prayer, true biblical prayer, is what God says it is. And that's going to be our distinction, and that's going to be where we come from. God is the author and designer of prayer, and his definition is the only one that matters for a follower of Jesus. God is the author and designer of prayer. So his definition is the one that matters, and his definition, not church polity, not church tradition, what the Bible has to say. Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And that brings us to this action that Jesus took in managing his personal life. Jesus connected in prayer constantly. Jesus connected in prayer Constantly, And I believe that statement begs this question. Because a lot of people have asked me this question. Um, and we have had good discussions, good explanation. I want to start this series off with this. Why did Jesus pray? You ever thought that? Why did Jesus have to pray? Why did Jesus pray? He was God. Right? Why did Jesus pray? Well, there's three reasons that I want to share with you. Theologically speaking... There's at least three reasons that Jesus prayed. First of all, Jesus prayed as an example. He prayed as an example to us as his followers. Same reason he got baptized. It was an example for us. Jesus prayed as an example, showing us, remember in Matthew, 
The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So he did. He taught them to pray. Jesus prayed so that we would have an example to follow. And like I said, do yourself a favor sometime and read John chapter 17 if you haven't read it before or if you haven't read it in a while. And you'll, you'll, you'll hear and feel the conversation and the, the passion of a son to a father, of a follower to a God, of Jesus, the, the, of God the Son to God the Father. And he gives us an example to follow in prayer of how to pray, of what to pray for, of where to go to in our heart, of how much of our heart to open up in prayer. The second reason was because Jesus was both God and man. He had both divine and human natures. Jesus didn't lay aside his godhood when he came down to earth. He took on the form of humanity. Remember we said this a couple weeks ago. It's called the hypostatic union. He was all God and all man. He had both divine and human natures. From his human nature, it was perfectly natural for a Jewish believer such as Jesus Christ to pray. It was a perfectly natural thing to do. In fact, as a Jew, if he didn't pray, he would have been considered uh, someone who didn't truly follow the dictates of his faith. So he showed that once again as an example of what a good follower of God should be. And thirdly, he prayed because he could. The nature of the Trinity allows for communication between its members. As God the Son, Jesus could pray to God the Father. I think that's my favorite one. He prayed because he could. Prayed because he could. No matter what happens, uh, I've talked with um, individuals, I've talked with a missionary that is a missionary to um, a country that is not aligned with us politically. And I won't mention it, I won't mention his name because uh, it's really not a good thing because if it would, our, we are on Facebook Live, if anybody found out, they would, uh, he could be in a lot of trouble uh, with the government. But he says, no matter what is limited in the country that I minister, no matter what they say I can't do, they can't stop me from praying. I pray because I can. I pray because I can. And, you know, we live in the freest country in the world. We're not perfect, but we're the freest country in the world. But no matter what comes down the way, no matter what laws are passed to limit whatever freedoms we can and can't have, one thing they'll never be able to take away from us is the ability to pray. Jesus prayed because he could. Now, there are at least 25 instances of Jesus praying in the New Testament. Some of the things he prayed for. He prayed for others in Matthew chapter 19. He prayed with others in Luke chapter 9. He prayed alone in Luke chapter 5. He prayed in public. He prayed before and after healing people. One was for the healing power and the other was for the, the, the praise and thankfulness of what had just been done. He prayed with requests and with thanks. He prayed for the Father's will, not his own, in Matthew 26. He taught about prayer once again in Luke chapter 11. And he poured out his heart in prayer in John chapter 17. Prayer. Prayer. One of the, one of the greatest privileges we have as Christians, the single most powerful weapon in our arsenal as Christians, 
but also one of the most misunderstood and most neglected areas of the Christian life. I've related, related the story in the past. I was at a pastor's fellowship, and one of the speakers got up, and he was a, um, one of the, a, pa a pastor of one of the largest churches in the fellowship, said, uh, you know, guys, as I talk with other pastors, I understand and I realize this, the greatest struggle in our lives as pastors is the struggle to pray. And I thought, man, that's, that's tough. How, how, do you, how do you get leadership from God? How do you endure struggles? How do you, have, how do you get the wisdom to deal with the issues of life and of a church and of the people in the church without praying? So let's talk about prayer a little bit more. First thing we're going to cover, and this is probably all we're going to get through this morning, maybe a little bit the next one, is this. What is prayer? What is prayer? I've said a lot of things, and, and uh, maybe you think it's, it's been a little bit negative and heavy this morning, and it's supposed to be, uh, because a lot of what this series and this year is about is realigning us with what the Bible has to say. You see... Let me, let me speak honestly. As, I, as Zach said, I've been here for 17 years. And I've seen a lot of changes. I've seen a lot of changes in our church. Our church is very different from what it was uh, 17 years ago. But I've seen a lot of changes in this area. I've lived here since 1970. We moved up in 76, right? Moved to East Long Meadow in 77. So I've lived here a long time. And I've seen a lot of changes in our area. I've seen a lot of changes in the church and the attitude of the church. But one thing I haven't seen, one thing that hasn't changed over all those years is the division between churches. Back in 1977, we were talking about churches not getting together and fellowshipping and how tough it is. For those of you from other churches, you might know that uh, if you've gone to another church in the past in the area. What's one of the things that people talk to me about today? Jeez, I wish we could get the churches to get together and work more together. A lot, and, and, and one, of the, one of the biggest areas and reasons for the decline of the church's influence in our area over those last 40 years, 40 plus years, has been a lack of emphasis on evangelism and discipleship. Churches, seriously, the biggest change I've seen in churches, um, the, that's the, the, the lack of working together is the biggest change I haven't seen. The biggest change I've seen is that churches now have become places of entertainment. And they'd rather entertain people to get a crowd in than evangelize and disciple which is how you grow. One of my mentors told me, John, you take care of the depth of your church and God will take care of the breadth of your church. The reason this church is growing, the reason we're seeing new people almost on a weekly basis is because we are doing our best to disciple a group of people and, and lay out there the responsibility that we have to share our faith. In an era where it's not popular, where it's frowned upon, we still have the responsibility to live and share our faith. And I believe God is blessing and will continue to bless that.
But there's a lot of, there's a lot of challenges. And those come from the fact that we've kind of lost our way in the church in a lot of areas. And we've begun to neglect and replace things. So I'm sorry if it has come across as, as harsh or negative. But that's the truth. The church has lost the power that comes from prayer because we don't pray anymore. Right? We don't pray anymore. Sometimes sit down with my mother and my father who are 85. My dad is here with us today. I know a lot of people, last Sunday was tough because my dad, uh, for those of you who don't know, my dad had to be taken to the emergency room, thought he was going to die last Sunday. Honestly, they, they gave him a blood transfusion. Okay, they, he was bleeding internally. Uh, went and saw him, and they couldn't even get blood from him. He, he, was, he had lost so much blood. And uh, everybody's like, oh, he's back Sunday? Of course, he's my father. My gosh. He's a stubborn New England man from northeastern Massachusetts, and he's not going to... The day after he came back from the hospital, he was down here in his office. So don't even, don't even ask me. My dad is just... He's, that's my dad. It's one of the things I love about him, but it's one of the things that frustrates me about him, too. I didn't even tell him. My boys had an all-star. They played uh, Agawam All-Star uh, All team on Friday. They were in the Longmeadow All-Star team. And they had a game Friday. I told my mom, don't tell dad. Right? I said, don't tell dad, because he would be at that game. And it was hot. And they won 20 to 1. <laughs> but I didn't, want, I didn't want my dad to be there. Not because I didn't want him there. Anyway, move on. But if you talk to my parents about the old days, they'll tell you about days and nights where the church came together and prayed, where people got together and prayed, and they prayed through the night. And they'd talk to you about weeping in prayer over lost souls. They talk about praying for the power of God, praying for the power of Elijah, praying for the power. I, re I remember uh, learning from my parents about prayer. The, the, the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, uh, was the, the beginning of the Great Awakening here in Massachusetts back in the 1730s. It was preached like six miles from here. And I've gone to that place and I've stood by that, that marker and I've prayed for the power of Jonathan Edwards. And it's something we've neglected as churches because we've become slick advertisers. We build our brand, right? As churches, we build our brand. Jesus isn't a brand, man. He's the savior of the world. He's not a brand. So we've replaced prayer for great marketing campaigns. And we've replaced the power, the true power of worship for concerts on Sunday morning. And we think that if we entertain people, we'll draw them in and they'll want to be here. Right? There's something, we've, we've changed a lot. We do a lot of different things here than we used to do. And we have donuts and coffee and we tell people about that, but that's more to break down walls and help people understand that we're not so stuffy that you can't have a cup of coffee in our auditorium. We're more concerned about stained lives than we are about stained chairs, okay? But the fact of the matter is, we've lost the focus on prayer. And that's what my goal through this message is, is going to be. 
Help us to refocus and reset on prayer. So what is prayer? First of all, prayer is communication with God. It's a conversation between God and us, a continuing, continuing daily dialogue that opens our hearts and minds to the leadership and will of God. It is simply communication with God. That's all it is. That's why I encourage you to read the prayers of Jesus, because he spoke as if he was speaking to his father. Jesus didn't speak to the Father in trifold amens. He didn't read out of a book. He spoke to his Father from his heart and laid out his desires, laid out his concerns. One of the most beautiful prayers and most heartfelt was, not my will but yours be done. In Jeremiah 29, verse 12, the word says, God is speaking to us. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. That's a great promise. We come to God in prayer. He says, I will listen to you. What else is prayer? It's the expression of our inner spiritual needs. When you go to prayer, one of the things you're doing is, is expressing to God what you need on the inside. Listen, I can't control what's going on out there. Raising children, those of you who are raising kids, you know this. I can't control what's going on out there. And I try to teach my boys, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. We're already getting that. But so-and-so can do it. And I'm coming by, my parents would be so proud of me. I'm coming back with, well, I'm not so-and-so's dad. <laughs> I've even said this. If they jumped off a bridge. <laughs> right? Yeah, buddy. I have used that line. Because I know my boys would. Zach and his sister Rayanne. They did. They jumped off a bridge. Rayanne was such a tomboy, she dared other. When she went to college, she jumped off a bridge. It was like, a, like 40 feet. And she looked at the boys, the, the guys in college, and she says, what are you, chicken? How did I get there? <laughs> the prayer is the expression of our inner spirit. It's a conversation between you and God, letting him know what you need, what you want. As I said, it doesn't matter. You can't control what goes on around you. What you need to do is be concerned about what goes on inside you so that you can react and respond properly in a godly Christian way about what goes on around you. See, that's what I meant when I go all the way back to the beginning of this sermon and say we're relying on political activism and all these different kind of things when what we should be doing is going to God in prayer and saying, God, how should I handle this? How should I deal with this? How should I, how should I respond to my neighbor? How should I respond to this situation, God? Some things don't require my attention, but some things do. Some things need to be spoken up about. I, right about now, I think the game is over. My boys had a 10 o'clock Little League World Series All-Star game this morning. 10 o'clock Little League World Series All-Star game. Told the coach Friday night, I said, man, listen. And Gabriel, Gabriel started in left field, Michael started in right field, they both scored, they both got on base, they, good ball players. I said, we're not gonna be there Sunday. And he's like, what do you mean? So listen, man, we got church. Well, well, what are we going to do? 
you got 14 players, man. I said, if you make it later in the day, we can be there. Well, I can't control it. Yeah, you can control it. You can tell the other team we can't play at that time. You just don't want to. Well, I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not being mean. I'm not being nasty. I, and I told him, and I told some of the other parents who asked about it, I said, I am teaching my boys priorities. I love baseball. Everybody who's been here for more than one Sunday knows I love baseball. See, I was going to work it in. <laughs> All right? A true, a true sermon by me includes baseball and a mention of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yes. Anyway, I said, I'm teaching my boys priorities in life. And God and church come way before baseball. They need to know that. They need to understand that. They'll live. They'll get through it. And everything will be wonderful. But my boys have spent the morning learning about Jesus. And that's what matters. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what I was talking about earlier when I said we seek inner peace through other means. The Bible says if you come to me in prayer, and if you talk to me in prayer, and if you lay out your desires and your problems and your passions and your issues and your struggles and your stress... To me, in prayer, guess what I will do for you? I will calm you in the storm. Remember last Sunday we talked about, uh, about Jesus sleeping in a storm? He will do that for you. He will give you peace in the midst of a storm. It doesn't, I, I love the old song, uh, sometimes he calms the storm and other times he calms his child. Sometimes you've got to go through the storm in life, but you've got to go through the storm in life with a calm spirit that comes from God and a clear head that comes from God. You see, that's what, that's what prayer is. It's laying out your, your desires and your questions and your concerns and your problems and your hurt and your pain. God, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this baggage that I have? How do I deal with this? I was talking with Brian a little bit this morning. Brian and I have known each other. Brian, Debbie, and I have known each other for 30 years, man. It's been a long time. We used to play softball against each other. We went to the same church. And uh, Brian knew my first wife, Brian and Debbie knew me and my first wife. And uh, being a pastor who's had a divorce, there's a lot of baggage. And you ask them, you can talk to them about things that, won't, people, that people won't say to me, right? About the story. Because anybody who's been through a divorce has a story. I can't control what people say about me. And believe me, there's a lot of things people have said. I can't control what people say about me. I can't control what they think. I can't control what they want to think. Right? I can't control any of that. What I can control is how I respond to that. Or how, quite honestly, I keep my mouth shut and just move on. Because quite honestly, at this point in my life, I'm 56, I have a wonderful wife who's an ama amazing woman, the woman who gave the announcements. 
That's my wife, for those of you who didn't know. She's awesome. She announced the game Friday night, right? She was the announcer in the, in the up, up uh, for the Little League World Series. She announced the game. She announced all the players and all that stuff. Did an amazing job. One of, the, one of the coaches says, well, now we have our own traveling announcer. She said, can I be like Vin Scully? Oh, yes. And I have two amazing boys. See, you don't, for those of you who, who wonder why, what, what God can do with your pain, and I know we're going a little bit over tonight, or this morning, but please indulge me, because I think this is really important. For those of you who wonder what God can do with the pain and the struggle and the baggage of your life, let me, let me share this with you. Now, it, it, it wasn't God's purpose and plan for me to go through what I went through. I don't want you to, I don't want you to think that. But I went through it. It wasn't my choice, but I went through it. Had I not gone to God and said, God, all I want out of, this, out of this disaster of my life, all I want is my integrity and my life. I don't care about anything else. Had I not given that to God, and had I not prayed and responded when the church asked me to stay as, as the pastor, through that, had I not said yes and followed God's lead, I would not have the wife I have today who is doing amazing things in this church and reaching people with the gospel and affecting many of the lives here in this church. And you know what else I wouldn't have? Oh, try to say this without breaking up, man. I wouldn't have two of the most amazing, adorable, wonderful boys the world has ever known in my life. And Gabriel and Michael would probably still be drug mules on the streets of Holyoke. But because I went into God and, and rather than defend myself and rather than react and go crazy and try to, try to squash everything and handle it my way, rather than, going, rather than doing that, I went to God and said, God, please give me lemonade with these lemons. Please show me what you want, what your purpose is, and what you can make. And I, uh, this disaster, put it back together for me. I am where I am today. It's awesome, man. It's awesome. Because God can take the mess that you have. God can take the baggage, the stuff that, that you didn't do but was done to you. God can take that and he can do his thing with it and can make your life something amazingly special and then continue to use you to make some other lives incredibly special. So see, prayer... It's not just communication with God. Prayer is us going to God with our inner spiritual needs, our questions, our problems, our hurts, our pain, talking with him about it. And lastly, and we're going to close with this, let's be honest. Prayer is an overwhelming and intimidating idea. <laughs> right? It's an overwhelming and intimidating idea Sometimes the reason we ask others to pray for us is because we feel incapable and unqualified to pray. I think that's a perfect place to stop today because as we get into the message next week and dig down deeper on prayer, you're going to see, if you come back, that you are qualified. You are capable to pray. You don't have to be flowery. You don't have to be a, a great statesperson with your speech. You just have to be able to have a conversation with the God of the universe. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for this 
amazing group of people who came out on this, uh, this holiday Sunday. God, thank you for the choice they made to be here to worship with us today. Lord, thank you for your grace and your love, your compassion. And God, I want to thank you for the privilege of prayer. I'm blessed, God, because I've been, I was raised by a mother and father who put so much emphasis and so much importance on prayer in their lives and taught me to do the same by a pastor who led his church through prayer. So God, I get it. Lord, I know there's also times where life can get busy and overwhelming and, and it, it doesn't come across as my go-to. And I forget sometimes to pray. God, would you remind me to be a man of prayer first? Lord, I know there's many other people here this morning that feel the same way. Some who struggle with prayer because they feel intimidated or they feel as if they're not worthy or qualified. Others, because quite honestly, we've, we've allowed things to crowd out the need of prayer and we found ways to deal with issues on our own. God, would you, would you minister to our spirit and to our hearts and to our minds and remind us that you want to converse with us, that you want to hear from us and that you have answers and that what you have for us is far superior than what we can find on our own. Would you bless us as we go from this place tonight, this morning? Would you watch over us, give us safety? Thank you for the safety through those storms last night. We pray for those in Longmeadow who experienced that, uh, that bad storm, God. May it be a, a way of them looking to you. Dismiss us with your blessing. May we honor you with our lives. In your name we pray, amen.